Today's topic uh, brought me back to my entrance into the kingdom. I got saved. I was invited to a, a small family church. And me and my mom in the, for a Thanksgiving meal in 1989, we went there, had a great time. And then I later uh, got saved at that church in February of 1990 and got baptized at that church in October of 1990. And that church was a small family, what, what we would probably call Pentecostal church. So that was my entrance into the kingdom, was this church. I saw amazing things that changed my life, and I saw some things that I said will not be a part of my life. And today's topic, and one of the reasons why today's topic is important, is because some of the things that I saw, I, I came to realize as I grew in my understanding of theology of the church and what's happening in the church, that some of the things that I saw there and other places have caused a lot of division in the church. And that division is largely due to the first two observations I want to make today. And a lot of it stems from what I've seen over the years, and I've seen it impact the church in negative ways. Last week, someone asked a question, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in helping us in spiritual warfare? And my response was, that answer is next week's sermon. Because it is. You can't do a series on spiritual warfare and not have something about the Holy Spirit. But what I said was slightly misleading because you can't just do a message on the Holy Spirit and its role in one message. So in reality, that answer to that question will be flushed out over the course of the next four sermons. It takes time. The spirit functions in so many ways you can't reduce it to one sermon. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, beginning in verse 7. This is what he said. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, I do, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That's the spirit right there, see? When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, in this sermon alone, you could teach about the role of the Holy Spirit. You could highlight the things that the Spirit is going to do based on 
what Jesus is saying to his apostles. But it's not clear if this is just the work of the Spirit in the apostles or in the church. One theologian says this about the roles of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit plays multiple roles in the life of a Christian. These roles include being a helper who teaches and reminds, convicting the world of sin, dwelling in believers and filling them, being a source of revelation, wisdom, and power, guiding believers to truth and knowledge of the future, giving spiritual gifts, sealing believers, helping in weakness and interceding, making believers new and granting eternal life, and sanctifying and enabling good fruit in their lives. So there's no way we're going to do one sermon on the role of the Holy Spirit. But we are going to first make a couple of observations to help us so that over the next couple of weeks, we'll have a clear process and understand what I, what I think. Because what gets confusing, one of the main things that I saw, and what gets confusing when people deal with the Holy Spirit is that people will talk confidently about the Spirit, that the Spirit is telling them to do this, or the Spirit is leading them to do this, and they will speak so confidently that when you and I hear it, we think, oh, well, I, I guess I'm in the Spirit. I'm not going to say nothing to the Spirit. I ain't telling them that. <laughs> How many of you heard of, well, the Lord told me to do this, or the Spirit, you like, well, I mean, unless you have the gift of distinguishing between spirits. And I can, I've at times said, I'm sorry, you, we've been in counseling sessions where someone told us the spirit told me this. And I prayed this in front of that person. Lord, you know I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to tell anyone that you told what to do to not do it. So if I am in error, Lord, please forgive me and know that I'm trying to help this person. And then after that, told them, I do not think that was the Spirit telling you that. <laughs> and here's why. And almost all of them times, they ended up being like, you know what, you were right. Now, this isn't about me. I'm just saying I'm not unfamiliar with these things. They're just not the defining aspect of my life and my ministry. But people talk about it so confidently that it's kid gloves. Can't say nothing to them. Here's why that's a problem. Here's why that's a dangerous problem from the Bible. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. The spirit isn't as dogmatic as we think. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 18 to 23. Here's what he says. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. And he says this to them. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set, out, set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except 
that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So here's Paul. Now, this is Paul. This is Paul. All the people in the region that he's talking about and all the people that we're going to see, the majority of them owe their understanding of the spirit of their salvation to Paul. He's saying goodbye to the, the elders in Ephesus, and he explicitly says that the spirit, notice that it's capital S, it should be capital S in your Bible, because whenever it's capital S, it's referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He says the spirit expressly says that he's going to experience Suffering, persecution. He's constrained. What Paul is saying is the spirit has bound me. It's tied me together. I am compelled. It's, I feel imprisoned to the spirit to go to Jerusalem. That's pretty clear. He said the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city. Pretty dogmatic. On the journey to Jerusalem, they stop and see how other churches are doing and other believers are doing in these cities. And we pick up in Acts 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 and then 10 through 14. Here's Acts 21, just a few verses from what we just read. And here's what he says. And when he had, this is Luke writing. Luke is a companion with him. And when he had parted, and when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard it and set sail. When we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. This is capital S. He says, and through the capital S spirit, they are telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But remember what Paul said in 2022, a few verses prior. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem Constrained by, the, constrained by the capital S, Spirit. But this is telling us, verse 4, having sought out the disciples, so these are believers in Jesus Christ. These are disciples of Jesus, believers in Jesus, and they sought them out. And those believers in Jesus, through the same Spirit that told Paul he's going to Jerusalem, are telling Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Is the spirit contradicting itself? Is he saying contrary things? Why is Paul constrained by the spirit to go to Jerusalem, but then other believers are urging Paul in the spirit not to go to Jerusalem? 
Hmm. So much for what a spirit told me this. Maybe what's happening here? Is the spirit contradicting himself? Paul, go to Jerusalem. Tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. We would call that being double-minded. That's not what's happening. Let's continue reading, picking up verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, I love that name, wouldn't name my pet that, but I like it. <laughs> While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So this is what Paul said the Holy Spirit constrained him to know. Persecution is coming for me. Brothers are saying, don't go in the spirit. And then comes Agabus, who reveals taking Paul's belt off, wrapping it around himself, and saying, the person who owns this belt is going to be delivered over to the hands of the Gentiles. I would have been like, you know what? I don't really like that belt anyway. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even want that belt. I'm, let, me go get, let me go to the marketplace and get it. That's nobody's belt. I'm going to the marketplace. Give me a new belt. I don't even want this belt. I never liked it anyway. It kind of didn't fit right with my clothes. I'd have came up with any excuse if you seen that. Verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there urged them, not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't say in the spirit, but these are believers. Spirit's there, urging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping. Listen to that. They're weeping, begging Paul in the spirit not to do something the spirit told him to do. And it's not like Paul didn't tell them the Spirit told me I got to go there. But they are weeping. Paul says, and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be, be, to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen to verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. That's an important sentence. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased, we stopped begging him not to go, and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So you got two different peoples, both through the Holy Spirit, saying seemingly contradictory things. What's happening here? Is the Spirit contradicting himself? Absolutely not. Our understanding of the spirit and how he works is what the challenge is. The spirit 
at least in this situation, is not acting independently outside of anyone's faith. It's assisting it. The Spirit's job is not to supersede faith, but to assist it. See, the will of the Lord here was decided by Paul's faith to face persecution. It wasn't decided by the certainty or the authority of who's hearing from the Spirit. This was about, does Paul have faith to go? Or does he have faith to listen to what they're saying? What's happening? This is why we have to be careful when we talk about how the Spirit is leading us or telling us what to do, as if that's the end of the matter. Someone with the same Holy Spirit may have an opposing perspective, and theirs may actually be the right one. This is more complicated than we give it credit for. And I've seen many people do damage to themselves and to relationships by acting as if, well, the Spirit told me as if there ain't no such thing as a lowercase s. My spirit might feel this way, but it doesn't mean it's the spirit. Now, in this case, it's clear it's capital S, the Holy Spirit. But the spirit is not acting outside of Paul's faith. I don't get the impression that if Paul did not go, that somehow he would be disobeying the spirit. But it would be people in the spirit are urging Paul not to go, so he compromised. What he did was, I'm going to stay here many days. I'm going to stay here for a while, but then eventually I got to go. And why did he want to go? Because I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to die for the Lord if need be. I'm not afraid. Don't be afraid for me. I know y'all love me. I hear you. And you're making some good points on why I probably shouldn't go. You want me to hang around more and teach more and write more. But I'm ready. My faith is good. So they said, all right. Since he couldn't be persuaded, we said, that's the will of the Lord then. The will of the Lord was decided by Paul's faith, not the certainty of the Spirit's leading. We have to be careful. It's more complicated than many people give it. And a lot of damage has been done in the church because people talk like if the Spirit's leading them. And we think, well, I can't argue with that. You most certainly can. People use the Spirit like it's a trump card. And it's not. We still have work to do. If the Spirit were a trump card and you just led by the Spirit, then why are there verses that say stuff like this? Romans 12, 2. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Why do you got to discern or test if the Spirit just told you what to do? 
If the Lord expected the spirit, once you hear from the spirit, that's it. Then why do you got to discern and test to see what is the will of the Lord? Because it's not a trump card. Your impressions, your manifestations are not the authoritative Holy Spirit telling you to do this. Now, if you have faith to do these things and they don't contradict what the Bible says clearly, all right. But don't act like because you feel a certain way that that's the Holy Spirit telling you and can't nobody tell you otherwise because this was Paul of all people. This is Paul, people who probably heard about how the Spirit works from him. They learn from him and are saying, don't listen to this, don't do that. Ephesians 5. 8 and 10, same language. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't you got the spirit, though? There's work to do. We got to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord. That requires thought, prayer, counsel. It is not just what the Spirit then told me to. At these churches I used to visit, I watched people say stuff like that, and sometimes it was like sinful. And I was too, I was young, so I wasn't going, I wasn't who I am now. I was the same type of dude, but I was just younger. So I would, in my mind, be like, I, I used to say this regularly when I would watch people. I'd be like, man, they lunching. That's a D.C. slang for they crazy. I used to be like, man, these folks lunched out. Did y'all see he just said this? And then Ephesians 5, 15, 17, to 17. Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Why do I have to discern what the will of the Lord is if the Spirit is guiding me? Because the Spirit's job is to assist faith, not to supersede it. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It does not say without the prompting of the Spirit. More could be said. This, this alone is a series. But we got to keep going. Second observation. And from my experience, the greatest concern for why it's difficult even to know how the spirit works as it relates to spiritual warfare. Second biggest problem I've seen me and Michael was talking about this earlier. We've seen this all over the place. And I've seen this in all kinds of churches. I've seen it predominantly black, predominantly white. I've seen it all over. Second biggest problem with understanding the role of the spirit is that we value the gifts of the spirit in a person more than the fruits of the spirit. We value the gifts more than the... I remember one time being at this conference where a bunch of churches got together and they were saying stuff like, man, you got to make room for the prophet. Make room. I was talking like that. Now, I was young. I was young. But I was me. 
So I was like, make room for what? Who's the, what, what does that mean, make room? It was like, you got you to gotta prepare your heart, get ready for what are you going to say, make room for the prophet. And so I was like, I got to see this dude. Because people was too excited, and I'm just not that way. I give credit where credit is due, but you got, hey, I'm from Missouri to show me state. You got to show me something. I ain't really from Missouri, but it works, right? So, <laughs> so this dude came in, and everybody's like, oh, they go to profit. So I'm watching him. I'm watching him. And I was like, okay, seems like a cool day. Everybody's flocking to him. And I'm watching him talking to girls, trying to get the ladies, trying to get their numbers. He was doing all this stuff. I looked at this dude. I said, hey, man, you see this? He was like, man, you got to make room for the prophet. I said, I ain't making room for nobody. So from that on, I was like, I can't hear what he's talking about. Now, I didn't even have close to the theology I had now. But I know a fake when I see one. And the stuff he was saying, some of it was pretty good. In fact, he said something to somebody that they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have known unless the spirit told him. But the problem was the gift was there, but the character wasn't, and everybody ignored the character for the gift. And I, I promise you, that has done more damage to people's view of the, the gifts than anything else. I personally don't think people have an exegetical reason to believe the gifts no longer continue to function. But you have a moral one, though. When we confuse the gifts from the fruit, we confuse how important that is to God. We'll think that God cares more about the demonstration of the gifts than he does the demonstration of the fruit. Now, sis, you can talk today. We're going to talk today. <laughs> Luke 10, 17 through 20. Listen to this. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Exclamation. I was excited. They came back, couldn't wait to tell the Lord, Lord, even the demons listen to what we say. Here's what Jesus said. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> Jesus said, listen, that's not exciting. This is what he's saying. Don't be excited that you have authority from heaven. Be excited that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. This is what he's saying. He's not impressed by that. Because that by itself doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove anything. They would have been sobered by their excitement. I mean, imagine you do some stuff. You, you've been afraid of the demons your whole life, and all of a sudden you're telling them what to do. Leave. Get out. Do this. Do that. When I was in India, man, them dudes was like, man, we have fun with the demons, brother. I said, what you mean by that? He said, we tell them to do exercises, jumping jacks, jump up and down. I was like, nah. 
Listen, these dudes don't, they not lying either. They don't even crack jokes. I got in trouble by the dude who was like the Apostle Paul over there because I had them dying laughing, and they're not used to laughing, so they couldn't really stop laughing. And the dude pulled me inside. He said, brother, do not joke with them. It's very serious here. I'm trying to imitate how he said I'm not mocking anybody. That's how he talked to me. He said, brother, it's very serious here. You joke in America, that's good, but he's very serious. Do not joke. So I was like, all right, man, I ain't going to joke. And I did, but still, I was young. These dudes was like, man, we tell demons, man, get up, sit down. What's nine times nine? Do jumping jacks. I said, do they do it? He was like, yeah. I said, how? He said, the power in the blood, brother. Wow. And I saw stuff with my own eyes. I was like, wow, this is crazy right now. I was excited. But you know what those dudes had more than that? They had character. They had character. I didn't even think their theology was solid, to be honest. Some of the stuff they believed, I was like, oh, okay, y'all believe that? Okay, that's what's up. That's what's up. I ain't, I'm not going to come there and correct them. Let me tell you what I read from a book. Like, I ain't going to come there. I wasn't even a pastor yet. I'm like, I ain't going to tell these dudes. These dudes are doing crazy stuff. Bad character. When Jesus said this to them, don't be excited about that. Be excited about that you're in eternity, not that you have authority. When he said that, he knew something they probably forgot. In Matthew 7, what people call the scariest passage in the Bible, it's not my scariest passage, but I understand why people say that. Verse 21, this is what Jesus says. Everyone knows this passage. He says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, right there, Jesus, everyone should, who's in the will of the Father, who's done that, shouldn't be afraid of this passage. He makes it clear, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Well, what's the will of the Father? To believe in the Son that he sent. That's John 6. But he said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will, declare that I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's important to look at the contrast here, right? So Jesus says, on judgment day, many people will appeal to the gifts of the Spirit or to the appearance of those gifts. And they will say, didn't we prophesy in your name? We'll get there in a second, but that's, that's the gift of the Spirit. So then we cast out demons. His disciples just did that, and we're excited. These are all gifts. These are all authority, power. When I say gifts versus character, or gifts versus the fruit, I mean power versus character. They said, didn't we prophesy? We cast out demons? Many mighty works. They're appealing to the gifts of the Spirit. Isn't this evidence of our salvation? Isn't this evidence of our maturity? Look what we, look what we did for you. We did these things in your name. Demons were subject to us 
in your name. Here's Jesus' response. You workers of lawlessness. I never knew you depart from me. You know what lawlessness is? Transgressions, evil conduct, iniquity, wickedness, sin. So here they are. Jesus, look at all the fruits of the, the gifts of the Spirit that we demonstrated and used for your glory. And Jesus says, I don't know you because I don't recognize the fruit of the Spirit in you. I don't know you. But we did all these things. But when I see you, I don't see my spirit in you. I don't see the character. I mean, if you prophesy in Jesus' name and you cast out demons and do many mighty works in his name, you should be the godliest person out. If you can do all this for the Lord, you should be super godly. But sadly, in my experience, it's not like that. Because we confuse the importance of the two. I know people that will read books, that will study, watch sermons. They're looking for churches. They got the gift of the spirit. I don't know many people who are trying to figure out what fruits of the spirit they should be doing. Ain't nobody reading books about that. Eternally speaking, no one is going to hell because they didn't demonstrate the gifts of the Spirit. But everybody who makes it to heaven will have demonstrated fruits of the Spirit. Even the thief on the cross, he demonstrated faith, humility. I don't know anybody's, maybe, I don't got anybody going to hell because they didn't manifest the spirit enough. But the fruits of the spirit are absent. That's a real problem. Manifestations of the gifts have nothing to do with maturity. And in some cases, because of the way they're perceived, they actually hinder maturity. Case in point. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, this is a church, so Corinth was a church that Paul went and spent the most time with. Paul spent 18 months pastoring this church. He planted it, he pastored it, so out of all the churches, Paul felt like Corinth was his church, it was his solid rock. He didn't plant every church that he wrote letters to. Colossians. Some other churches, he hadn't even been there yet when he wrote those letters. Epaphras planted Colossians. He's writing to them on behalf of Epaphras' testimony about them. But Corinth, Paul spent 18 months there. So he felt like, you all are my folks. This is my church. Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians. We have his second and fourth letter, and we call them first and second Corinthians. The third letter is lost, and that letter was so stern that Paul said himself in 2 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 7, and he was worried about how they were going to react to that letter. 
This is a heavily corrective book. And it is, in the New Testament, the only book that highlights the supernatural gifts in this way. And he's using it to correct their usage of them. Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 4, this is what he says. Paul does his typical greeting in verses 1 through 3. And then in chapter 1, verse 4, here's what he says about them, to them. I gave thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here in verses 4 through 9, Paul is essentially saying, acknowledging, you're not lacking in any gift. You have all the gifts of the Spirit. You got speech and knowledge. You got all of them. And I'm confident that the Lord will carry you through. So he's confirming, confirming that he thinks they're believers. But then he says this in verse 10 and 11. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So after saying, I see the gifts in you, the Lord is working in you, he's going to present you guiltless from 110 to the end of chapter 15. It is major correction for their character. Everything is either answering a question that they're asking about or reporting what he's heard about and he's correcting their thinking. So he says it's causing division. This is a divisive church. But Paul loves this church. This is what he planted. So he starts developing the difference between wisdom and wisdom isn't given to the wise but to the fool in chapters 1 and 2. And he's building this up and he hits everything from, from them not, not exercising church discipline in chapter 5 to giving in chapters 8 nine, to head coverings and communion. He's going through all these different things that are causing division. And then when he gets to chapter 12, he says, all right, now let's talk about the gifts. Let's talk about the gifts because these are causing division in this church. And he's concerned. He's the pastor of this church. So when we get to 1 Corinthians 12, he gives a brief introduction in 1 through 3, now concerning the gifts, which this is woo, woo, woo. Then he gets to verse 4, and he says this, Verses 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities 
but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So notice what he's doing here. Variety of gifts, Spirit. Varieties of service, Lord. Varieties of activities, God. Right? So this is a Trinitarian reality. He's highlighting Son, Spirit, Father. All involved in this. But he specifically says the gifts are the same spirit. And he says each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The reason he is emphasizing that it's the spirit because the Corinthians were causing divisions over the gifts acting as if they were their individual superpowers. And that once manifested it was theirs. And so Paul needs to push back because one, they're not yours. And two, they're temporary. They're temporary. They're temporary because they don't belong to us. But when they manifest, the Spirit's giving us temporary access to use them. But the Corinthians were defining themselves by the manifestation of these gifts. And I've seen this happen in the church and wreck it. Your identity is in the usage of the gifts. That's how people see you and they treat you like you're more mature than you may be because you manifest some gifts of the spirit. But it's not maturity. It wasn't maturity in Matthew 7 and it's not maturity here in 1 Corinthians 12 as we're going to see in a moment. Paul is bringing this up as a corrective measure. They were causing division over which gift was supreme, namely tongues and prophecy. Namely tongues and prophecy. That's why he spends the whole chapter 14 going back and forth between those two. Because those seem to be the most pronounced, at least for Corinth. They were. So then he starts listing what the gifts are. And he goes through just listing what they are. And these would have been all present in this church. All present. Verse 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. The word utterance is simply the word logos. It just means word. So what he's saying here is that the Spirit will give a word of wisdom, and sometimes a word of knowledge, a special knowledge. I know for me, this is one that consistently happens. So here's how it plays out in a, like a situation. Counseling people, and this situation is hectic. You don't know where to, you don't know what door to open, where to begin, none of it. This is just tough around the board. People are offended. And you're sitting there thinking, and I just pray, Lord, please help me to serve your, your son and daughter. I'm not sure where to go with this because this is insane. I'll just pray that, I pray that quietly every time I counsel, especially couples. And then at some point, talking, it clicks. I see it. There it is. Let's pull on this thread. 
all of a sudden, that becomes a transformative meeting. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, because I didn't even think about that to ask that question. He gave me utterance a word, a word of, and then there are times it's special knowledge. Mike has seen me do this often enough that we joke about it and call it Spidey Sense. I'll just be like, man, I think this is up. And he'll be like, really? And he'll say, is that Spidey Sense? And if I say, yep, and it's like, man, we just prepare for it. And then it just happens. It'll just happen. And this is like sometimes weeks, days, even months before. This happens to me consistently. And I tell you these stories sporadically, but you don't see me walking around like, hey, I do this. I know, I know what's up with you. Though. <laughs> I know what you was thinking. There are times I'll just tell Mac or somebody on the leadership team, hey, we need to follow up with this individual. I think this is what's going on. We need to follow up. And they'll be like, really? I ain't even. I'm like, yeah, I think we should follow up. And we follow up, and it's like, bang. That comes from the Lord. I'm not going to walk around with a big U on my chest, utter, King Utterance. <laughs> I know what you do. I'm going to tell you about you. I'll just see it and be like, all right, Lord, let's test it, see if I'm right. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. Some people just have more faith than other people. They just faith-driven. You know who's like that in our church? Tammy. Tammy got faith for everybody in the church. Tammy should open a spiritual bank. You struggling with faith? Go sit here. Let me give you how much you need people who just got faith to another gifts of healing by one spirit. I've seen people do it. Remember a while ago in this church, that young girl had her legs messed up. Remember that? And we prayed for her right over there. And then she went to the doctors and they were like, her leg is here. We don't know what happened. We couldn't believe it. Same thing happened to me in India. We laid hands on this little girl and we're praying for her like crazy. And then, the, and then John David was the pastor he was like, stop. Told the little girl to walk forward. She walked forward. She was rubbing her legs. He said, do your legs hurt? She was like, no. No. We couldn't believe it. We were like, give her some candy. <laughs> we Americans, right? We give her some candy. <laughs> Messing the girls died. All so we gave her a big bag of lollipops. Huge, big bag. But we had just got there. So I was like, hey, don't give her all of them. Like, we need some for... I'm always me. That happens. But, but no one's saying, like, if, you, if someone had the gift of healing and it was theirs, they'd be just making money from it. Can you imagine if you could just heal people? They'd be like, hey, man, you ready? You got a long line out there? Yeah, let me just finish my coffee real quick in there. All right, send them in. All right, it's $500. What you got? Can't, okay. Let me. No one has it like that because it's not ours. But when it happens, the Lord is saying, I'm going to go ahead and let you do this. But people act like I did this, therefore, look at who I am. I'm, I'm deserving of respect, even if I don't have the character. And people prop them up, oh, my gosh. Make room. I'm fat. I ain't making room for nobody. Now, when you do that, I've seen it destroy the church. Another, the working of miracles. Another prophecy. People get up and give a good word and get excited and act like, man, I need to be doing this all the time. 
Really? There are, time, there are times me and Mike have heard people say stuff, and we've leaned over and be like, man, that was for them. That wasn't for us. Every word isn't for everyone. Sometimes the Lord is talking to you. There were some people who came to us with some dreams that were negative and critical of us. And our church hasn't seen none of that. But the people who told us that, I don't know how well they're doing. Maybe that vision, that dream was about you. Maybe. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. Not as you decide to manifest. When you good and ready. No, when it serves his purpose, he will allow some to access these things. Now, there are people who do not believe that the gifts, they're called theologically cessationists. They believe the gifts have ceased to exist. I understand why they think that way. I just don't think they have exegetical reason to come to that conclusion. But they have a moral one. Because when you watch people who have the gifts of the Spirit not show the fruits of the Spirit, then you believe the gifts of the Spirit are fake. That's what happens. You believe the gifts are fake. You start coming up with theological reasons why, and it's like, nah. I don't think there's any exegetical reason to believe that the gifts have ceased. I don't believe that. And I, some of those, I practice those, some of those regularly. They're just a part of just my life. I've seen them work in amazing ways. I don't have a problem with them working, but I do have a problem with how they work sometimes. They got to have order. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 14 was like, the gifts have to have order. There's a way these work. There's a specific way that order is supposed to look. He's not elevating the gifts here. He's reminding them of three main things. One, the gifts are supposed to build up the body, not cause division. As we said in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For the common good. For the common good. Sometimes the gift is good, but the way the gift is used is not. His second point is the gifts are the Holy Spirit's, not yours. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. Third point he's making is that the gifts are not producing the fruit of the spirit, then their usage is worthless. Let me prove that point. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to what he says here. We know it well, but listen to this in the context of the gift. Watch how he's naming these supernatural gifts. Listen to what he's saying about them. Verse 1, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen to what he's saying. 
He's contrasting the supernatural gifts versus supernatural fruit. He says, if I have tongues but not love, I'm nothing. Noisy gongs, clanging cymbals. If I have prophecy, I can understand prophecy. I can understand all mysteries. If I don't love people, it doesn't mean anything. If I understand all knowledge, if I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. If I even give away all I have and, and martyr myself, deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. His point is, if you don't have the fruits of the Spirit, then the gifts of the Spirit are not going to save you. They're not more important. And I've seen people act like they are to their detriment. And then he goes on to say what the actual what the actual fruit looks like. And this is where we read, this is, this is read at every wedding, it's extrapolated to say what love is, but he's talking about in the way we use the gifts to interact with each other. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. These are all fruits of the Spirit. Look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He just listed all those and almost all of them in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is this. It's not that. This is what he's trying to say. How we use the gifts is more important than if we use the gifts. I've seen people use the gifts, but they're boastful. They're arrogant. And people act like, well, I mean, that's just, hey, that's the prophet, though. That's not, nah, he's just gifted. I seen him, I seen him speak a word that nobody would knew, and this person was affected. So you think, well, his character doesn't matter because the gifting is there. And God says, oh, if the character is not there, he ain't spending eternity with me. He can take them and them gifts I gave him and roast. I've seen people manifest their gifts, but they're rude. But you know what one that's the most important? I've seen people who manifest their gifts but insist on their own way. Listen, your gifts are supposed to build up. If people have to adjust to you and the gifts, then you insisting on your own way. And every time I see it, I ain't going for it. Don't bring it around me. Because I've been to churches and watched people. Do. I was like, why do we got to make room for him? This dude is, he's not a servant. He's walking past people. If you don't say hi to him, he don't say hi to you. Looking down on people, talking about people. It's like, wow, bro. You insist on your own way. You know, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. This is one of the reasons why when I used to be at this church and everybody would start shouting, like, I got it culturally. But then after a while, it was like, man, I'll just be, let me just say this up front. This, anybody can disagree with this if they want. People act like when it's the spirit, it doesn't have control or administration or, I don't think so. Spontaneity is not always the Holy Spirit. I don't think so. People act like when it's the spirit that I've never seen in scripture apart from 1 Samuel 10 and 1 Samuel 19 where the spirit just seizes somebody. 
with Saul, they, it just seized Saul. They was down there prophesying. And then Paul, Saul went over there and then all of a sudden he... <laughs> In the New Testament, the, the spirit doesn't work like that. So if you can't control yourself, maybe it's not the spirit. I used to struggle, like, why are we waiting for them to stop yelling and screaming? And I, and I started to see this stuff. And I, I was telling them like this. I remember one time I was sitting there in this church. And I was just, I forgot what was going on. We heard all this, ah! so I look over, and it was like, boom. It was a lady, she was just shouting. So everybody got around her and crowded in the circle and got around her. I don't have no problem with that. It is what it is. It just happens, right? They was on the piano. Dun, 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 dun. We know all that, right? All that. All, all the trimmings of the black church. Dun, 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 dun. And I was with it. I was just, you know, I was moving. I was like, okay. What's up? You know, I'm looking back, watching. I'm watching. And then I saw her husband sitting over here who I knew was not a godly dude. And he was just sitting there with a look on his face like. So I look back over there and then I heard something over here. Boo, 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 boo. I look over, he shouting. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, he was, on, he was on his Fred Astaire. He was moving. And I saw that and said, he's not. And I said this, Lord, please don't ever let me do that. I said, Lord, I never want to do that. I don't believe that's real. I don't believe it's real in him. And it wasn't that he, that might be happening to him. This is what I honestly think. I think the Lord was just judging him. You mocking, you laughing. This, I'm going to give you a manifestation. And yet I'm going to judge you by that manifestation because you don't got character. I was like, Lord, I don't want to do that. 1 Corinthians 14, 32 says, the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. Control yourself, fam. Stop making everybody have to revolve around you. You're not that gifted. And people got a feeling. I was like, nah, man, I know I don't know enough. I just told my man, Bob, I was like, man, man, hey, hey, man, I don't know if I agree with that. He would be like, hey, young blood, I'm kind of with you. And we would go off and talk. He was like my mentor. I'd be like, man, I don't, I don't agree with that, bro. And he would be like, nah, young blood. And he always be like, man, because you, you got that anointing. You got that anointing. You see it. And I was like, I don't, whatever that is, I just ain't going for I can't do that, bro. So he was like, nah, don't do that, man. That's not you. Don't do that. So it was like, nah, the spirit is subject to the prophets. People shouldn't have to adjust to you. You build up. So if people aren't being built up, then calm down. We build others up. Listen, on Judgment Day, God may ask people how they did demonstrating the gifts of the Spirit, but he will definitely judge people based on that they demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. In a nutshell, character is better than charismatic. Character is better than charismatic. There are times that people have come to this church and said, that, like, hey, this church isn't spiritual enough. And I, you know what my response was? So? I was like, so what? Now, if you tell me this church isn't faithful, then let's have a conversation. What are you seeing? What concerns do you have? I haven't heard anybody say that. I've been here 15. Thank you for the standing oath. I haven't heard that. And it'd be genuine. That doesn't mean everybody's sinless. But I haven't heard people like, this church ain't faithful. This church ain't spiritual enough. All right, cool. Well, there's a church you can find it is. And sometimes them churches, they got, they got a lot of spirituality going on. 
for the knowledge, but a lot of immaturity too. And I would much rather be in a church where nobody shouts, but people are faithful to the Lord, than people are shouting and dancing and emotional and are unfaithful. I'll trade that any day. So it's not that we ain't spiritual enough or that we, ain't go, we don't go for it. It's just that, that we're not putting on a show. We're not defined by the gifts of the Spirit. We're defined by the fruits of it. And let me tell you one of the main reasons why. Because gifts, signs, and wonders, all that stuff that people want to see. Ironically, signs and wonders are how Satan will deceive many people. Listen to Matthew 24, 24. This is Jesus talking. For false Christ. And false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. People are so drawn to supernatural experiences, and Satan knows that, so let's give it to him. Why do you think witchcraft is on the rise and all this stuff is on the rise? All these manifestations of supernatural powers, Satan said even the elect would be deceived if it were possible. So all these people want the experience of the spirit, but not the character that's supposed to come from it. And Satan's going to use that and be like, look, I can show you this. I can do this. I can predict your future. I can make you feel this. I can let you, I can let you astral project. I can do all the things that you want. Just don't have the character. If we evaluate people by the gifts of the spirit instead of the fruit of the spirit, we'll confuse their character flaws as something that the spirit affirms. And it just doesn't. It just doesn't. People have made excuses for someone's lack of character because they're so gifted. Don't ever do that for me. Don't ever do that for me. I don't want to make any excuses for my lack of character. I don't care how funny I am, how well people think I preach. I don't mean nothing. When I stand before the Lord, he's not going to be impressed by none of that. He's not going to be impressed by the insights that he gave me in this series. He'll be impressed by the character that I tried to sow because of those things. Do not fall for it. All gifts do not automatically mean faithfulness to God. So how should we expect the spirit to help us then? Let's end with this and we'll carry this over for the next couple weeks. What does the spirit actually do then to help us, specifically in spiritual warfare? Well, first, all the activity within the life of a Christian that's Godward focused, it comes from the Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. It says this, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. So all of the work of, of what we do is empowered by the spirit. So that's just foundational. But let's be a little bit more specific in what the Holy Spirit does in terms of helping us in spiritual warfare. One thing that it does is that it helps us grow in confidence to resist the devil. It helps us grow in confidence. And in one way in particular, Matthew 4. 
We know this scene well. Let's run through this. Beginning verse 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's rehash this scene. So Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Faces three temptations. Hunger, safety, and humanity. Full of the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he resists each temptation. Not one supernatural gift is made present. This is Jesus, who can walk on water, who can tell the wind be still, who can cast out plenty of demons into a bunch of pigs, thousands of pigs. Here's how Jesus resists the devil of all people with the Bible. With the Bible. That was his superpower against the devil, the Bible. He didn't speak in tongues, he didn't prophesy, he didn't, give, he didn't do none of that. No superpower. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by him you shall swear. So full of the Holy Spirit, use the scripture. What would Jesus do? Use scripture. He would use scripture. Why does he use scripture? Because scripture is the sword of the spirit. It is the only, when we get, we'll be there in two weeks, it is the only offensive weapon in the list of Ephesians 6. You know that? It's the only offensive weapon. Now, you can use any weapon offensively, but it's the only offensive weapon. Look at Ephesians 6, beginning of verse 14 through 18. He says this. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, it can be used as a weapon. I felt that before from my mother when I was younger. <laughs> so I might have actually defeated the point. That joint can be used as a weapon. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness... And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep all with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So here's the outfit. 
belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes with the gospel, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, the Bible, prayer. The sword is the only clearly offensive weapon. The shield, you block. The helmet protects your head. The belt keeps your uniform on. The shoes keep you steady. It's the word. That's the sword. The spirit is the sword, and the spirit in you is going to make that sword sharper. It's going to sharpen you with the growing confidence in the word. Many of you in the last night in this series have come to me and said, man, I love my Bible much more. I'm reading my Bible completely differently because of this. You know what that is? Sure, I'm saying things, but you know what's really happening? The Spirit is confirming, giving you confidence. Hold on. I'm learning how to, how to be skilled in the word of righteousness. That's what's happening. You're growing in your confidence in the sword and how to use it. And so people are finding themselves to be more victorious. Not because of what I said, it's because the Spirit is confirming things in you, and all of a sudden you see it. Your confidence is growing. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. That's the Spirit's working. Notice that in Ephesians 6, there was no mention of any gift of the Spirit. There was not one mention of any gift. Now the weapons of spiritual warfare are not as flashy as tongues or prophecy or some other manifestations of the spirit. But those gifts are also not weapons. And you need weapons for spiritual warfare. You need a different power. Next week, we're going to look at demon possession in Christians, not in Christians, is it legitimate? Is it something that we should consider? And how does the Holy Spirit help us in that? So now let's pray. Father, I thank you that our church, there may be some truth that we could grow maybe in some manifestations of the Spirit, but not to the extent where we're subject to people's display of it or that we care more about that than the character, the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, our values don't have anything to do with spiritual gifts because ultimately our, our, our entrance in our status in eternity has nothing to do with manifestations of the Spirit. We've all been, some of, many of us have been tempted to or have given into thinking that that matters more than other things. And Lord, I don't know how long I'm supposed to be here or how long this church, but as long as I'm here and this church exists and Mike is here and this church exists and all of it, may we never compromise experience over truth. And may we never take our experiences and try to make them absolute truth. For the things that you allow me to see and do that I feel like happen consistently enough, those have no defining characteristics of me with you. I thank you for the times that you do give me wisdom and knowledge. 
I thank you for the times you give people words to share on Sunday. I thank you for the times that you, that there's healing that takes place. I remember we all, one years ago, we prayed for a dear sister who had a serious illness. And you healed her. She went to her doctor and they couldn't believe it. I thank you for those moments. But Lord, we don't live for those moments. Father, I pray that you would increase in us as we learn, as we grow, a desire to be faithful, to be fruitful, not gifted. But having said that, Lord, the gifts and, and the fruit, they don't, they can coexist. They don't need to co-resist. They shouldn't resist each other. But may they coexist. Lord, you've given us gifts, manifestations of them for the good to build up the church. But Lord, in our sinfulness, we build up the individual who displays them. May it not be so in this church. And if I get judged for that by some, then so be it. Because you're the judge that I care the most about. May we be faithful. And if you allow manifestations of the gift to take place, I'm with it. As long as it's coupled with faithfulness. Lord, you know more than we do. The character is better than charismatic. And that I would rather have our church be known for its character than for known for being charismatic in the gifts. Lord, while I'm in error, correct me. But where I'm right, may we continue. With an emphasis on faithfulness, but with our eyes, ears, and heart open to what you want to do for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> we have a few, quite a bit of questions. So if you have not submitted your questions yet, um, we can take the banner down. Uh, we're not going to have time for, for more questions. Uh, so uh, the first question is um, that I'll ask is, um, how would you be able to tell the difference in the church if someone is faking when they're screaming, shouting, falling on the floor, or when it's uh, genuine and the spirit is moving? Well, the Bible doesn't really show that happening. The Bible doesn't show people, when people fall down and lose control, that's usually demonic possession. So there isn't a biblical narrative that tells us what to do in that moment. But I start with um, duration and control. That's what I start with. Like I, Sometimes people cry out, sing out, I don't have no problem with that. But if it continues and it continues and all of a sudden, then, because I, I, I evaluate them by the fruits of the Spirit. So if this is going on that long, then it's like, okay, I think self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And I don't think that the spirit inhabits people outside of their control for long periods of time, particularly in this context. When, when church is happening, you look at 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is real, he's like, look, when unbelievers come in your midst and they see you doing that, they're going to think these people are crazy. And I think people don't really care about that. They care about like they want an experience. So if it's me, duration is going to be a part of it. And then usually if someone, it depends on what people are saying. I remember one time I was at, whose church was that? I was with my buddy Eric, and they had this open mic. And this dude just got up and was like 
the Lord has told me that he's tired of people to snatch. No, we won't even know you, bro. We won't even know you. Now, I was in my church. I just looked at my buddy and was like, hey, they watch it. They wouldn't do that in my church. No way. If we're not clear, we ain't going for it. And if people's feelings get hurt, we're not trying to, but we're not trying to damage the integrity of the gospel either or the Bible. So I think it's a lot of times it can be duration. If someone's talking, what are they saying? Um, that's a hard one to measure because it can be different things that happen in a church. But I think, and then I start with those, is, do I see this in the Bible first? I'm not saying that it's only in the Bible, but I think if, if people are doing things that you can't really prove from the Bible, then I'm skeptical that it's from the Lord because we're supposed to test the spirits. My job isn't to affirm what everybody does. It's to test it and see, like, do I think this is genuine? And so does this, does this consider? And then, but more importantly for me, if it's, it's what's the fruit of a person's life? Like, I judge genuineness by the fruit. So it's like, oh, this person is, like, I'm not, like, if I see somebody shopping, doing whatever, and I know that you're not really trying to honor the Lord, I, it's a show to me, personally. It's a show. I've seen too much. It's a show to me. I'm not trying to judge anybody. That doesn't really happen here in that sense. But if, I, if I'm aware of that, it's like, oh, that's a show to me. It's like, yeah, I'm not even worried about it. Because you doing this, this, and this, and don't care about that. But now all of a sudden, everybody's supposed to be like, wow, look at how, man, I'm, I'm not. So it might not be the best answer, but it, I would have to be more specific as to what, because some stuff is just like, who's the, if it's our church, who's the person? Woo, woo, woo. Is, do we, are we having to continue to wait for them to stop? It's like, I, I mean, I've been in churches where for 45 minutes, people was just, and then a new person, this one you think like, all right, man, good, like, and somebody else, oh, it's, a, da, da, da. it's like, oh, man, wow, okay. And then certain people, you like, man, I was talking to you before church, like, I know you're not really trying to honor the Lord. I'd be like, Lord, why are you letting them do that? Man, I'm trying to go home. You know, so that's all I'll say to that. So, so based on uh, what that last sentence or sentence before that, um, this question uh, is in conjunction with that. So maybe you can ask this one: uh, Why does God give gifts to unethical people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, this is what I think. The Bible doesn't say it, but because God doesn't seem to be impressed by them. I think he gives gifts to unethical people because those gifts may affect people to be more ethical. So then let me explain what I mean. We don't know often if this per person is ethical or not. Unless you really know him, you don't know. So when you see people, oh, look at the problem. He's saying this stuff. And, then, and let's say he says something that's spot on and it's clear. The Lord can use that to help somebody be like, man, this is real. The Lord is real. It doesn't have to be the person. Is, but this is, a, this is a thing. When Jesus said in John 16, the spirit will do what it's heard to do, and it will glorify me. It's not glorifying the person. I didn't read this passage, but in Matthew 23, you've heard me say it. Jesus said the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So listen to what they tell you, but don't imitate what they do. He basically said they have the gift of teaching, so listen to them, but they're going to hell when they die. Because they're hypocrites. So you, God can let you teach. He can let you do all of that. Because it's not really about the, in, the person. God is drawing attention to himself. 
And so he'll let people who have no character demonstrate fruits because it may affect somebody else. God's about his glory, not the glory of individuals. So he'll let it happen and be like, all right, go ahead. I'm going to let you hoot and holler, shout, do all this and all that. Let, go ahead. You do that. I'm going to let you preach. I'm going to give you, I gave you the gift. I'm going to still use it. But because you're not faithful, when you stand before me, you're going to hit the pot for me. That's, I mean, that's just the reality. So that's what I think. I think the Lord, we keep thinking that the gifts are about the person. And the Lord will allow people with influence to be able to do things because fill in the blank. That's just the reality. So. Some it's a gift are, to figure out what the questions are saying, are, right? Sort of, yeah, some of them you've hit, hit on. Um, but um, so I'm not sure I understand this question. So sorry if you're here and I'm talking about your question. Um, but um, this question is, is it not necessary to have the spirit? Okay, I understand the question. Is it not necessary to have the spirit to demonstrate spiritual gifts since some people who practice gifts aren't even saved? Is it not necessary? So in other words, if you have spiritual gifts, do you have the spirit? Is it, ne that you, is it necessary yeah. to have the gifts and, and have that? Yeah. That's what they're asking? They're asking, yeah. Is it necessary to have the spirit in order to demonstrate spiritual gifts? So I understand the question. I understand the question, but I'm going to say this. What's necessary is the character of the spirit. Because here's the reality, and here's the thing, we have to always remember this. Only the Lord knows who's really saved. Now, we can have confidence in our salvation. The Bible tells us that, our confession, our soul and so. But only the Lord knows who's really his. And everyone that's still alive in this room, we haven't conquered to the end. We haven't persevered to the end. So when we are evaluating people, we're thinking that, oh, this is clearly this, this person is this or that. I just don't know. I don't know who these people are or where they are in their relationship with the Lord and all of this. So I think when it gets into, well, you can't do things without, like, the spirit. Does the spirit, it's a deposit that guarantees us, but you get passages like 1 Thessalonians 5 that say, do not quench the spirit. And quench, the, the Greek word for quench means to extinguish, to put out. So it's possible that you can have the spirit and then extinguish it. Now, we don't think, oh, genuine believers won't, but then who's a genuine believer, though? Now, I'm not saying you can't have confidence in your salvation. I'm just saying only God knows who's genuine or not. So all, some of those categories, to me, are more about do you have the character of the spirit rather than the gift of the spirit? I think God can, if he wants to, use people for, for whatever purpose, I mean, he hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? So God can use people and be like, this is, this, I'm going to let this happen, this happen, and this happen, but, but here's the reality. So, again, it's, it's hard to really say, but I don't know if every demonstration of the spirit or what we would perceive as that means a person is genuinely a believer. Because you could be in that moment, I mean, that's a different theological question of Hebrews 6 and beginning with the spirit, tasting of it, and then walking away. 
there's a lot of categories to that. So that's a good question. But I think, to me, the, the real issue is, are there, is there fruit of the Spirit? And if you don't see fruit in the Spirit, that's what you got to focus on. If you never have a manifestation of the Spirit, your eternity is not hanging in the balance of it. It's just not. But you will be evaluated by the fruits of the Spirit in your life or the lack thereof. So uh, to that point, um, what if we observe someone who we uh, know or understand to be walking in like unrepentant sin, but they have spiritual gifts? How should we interact with those folks? So I would start with what's, what's your relationship with the person? Because sometimes, like, if you don't, like, your relation, you shouldn't be drawn to have fellowship with someone to correct them. You know, sometimes people be like, hey, what do I do if, do, what, what, did you know, do you have any relationship with them? Like, if you don't, then establish a relationship. It's not like, oh, you got to stop them right now because they damage in the church. I don't, listen, at this church, nobody's going to damage the church like that. It's not going to happen. Mike and I are not afraid to shut it down if we think we need to in front of everybody. Not because we're trying to be rude or nothing like that. We're just trying to be faithful. So I'm not worried about certain things right away. I don't panic like, oh, no, this, this person is, man, I'm good. I'll catch up to you. And it might just mean, now I'm, I'm in a different position, but for you it might be, you might just want to get to know that person a little bit. I don't really know them and then see what they're about. Or, without gossiping, just tell someone who you know that knows them, hey, I, I could be out of place here. I was just concerned when I saw this. I think you have a relationship with this. Do you, do you see this? Are you concerned about this? I think there's, there's, there's safety in that to do that. So I think I would, I would put it to somebody. There are times that people have brought to me stuff, and I was like, look, I didn't see it. And so if I weigh in, it's like, oh, Pastor Kirsten, come. You know, it's like. You just got to bring it up to them and challenge them. And if you have problems, then you know, let me know and bring me in. But you just got to do that. You got to challenge them. You got to bring that up. Because I, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. And sometimes people want me to weigh in because they're too afraid to. It's like, nah, you, you know, you, you step up and be faithful and do that. But so I think it depends. If you have a relationship with them, then I think you need to be like, hey, look, fam, you should chill out, bro. Like, really, you should chill. Because it's like, man, I, I just don't think it's a good look for them. It's not a good look for them because we can be confused with thinking, man, we just gifted. Man, I did this, I did that, I did this, I had this happen. I just, I just prophetic word, this prophecy, I had this. And then, man, and you, you, you really just giving in to sin in other ways. And it's like, man, I, if that does, and if the Lord uses you in that moment, cool, keep it at that. Keep it at that. I wouldn't be all trying to pursue it. And also now you defined by it. Now you, you the prophet among your friends. It's like, man, just be faithful. People need, they need persistence, not prophecy. They need obedience. You know, that's what people are, that's what people, that's what's going to help people grow, is your obedience. Your character is going to help people and be more of a witness to people than your manifestation of any gift. It's just not. And I think it just happens to the best of us. We get caught up in it. And I know for Mike and I, we just refuse to let that be a defining point for us or our church. All right, this one's a, a two-parter. Um, the, the question twofer. is... Twofer? Yes, yes, sir. Twofer. Um, what about people who have character but don't use gifts? Um, or does having gifts mean you... Excuse me. Or does having fruit mean you'll use the gifts responsibly? So I don't know what that means to have character and not use gifts because gifts are not ours in a sense. Like, So if it means like... 
I'm not being faithful to do something. I feel like the Lord's calling me to do, then I think we should encourage people to step out in faith, right? But there are other gifts in Romans 12 that are not supernatural that are also gifts like zeal, administration, leadership. There are people who use a lot of gifts in the church, but they're not up here like speaking in tongues, prophesying, giving you a word of knowledge. But they use, I see a lot of people using gifts that are in like Romans 12 generosity, zeal, having faith, those things aren't as, as celebrated as like, oh, he, you know, spoken tongues, or he got a prophetic word, or he did this, or he did that. It's like, so I just think if a person is not using gifts, not manifesting gifts, that doesn't mean that they're not using them. I don't think all of the, well, we, the gifts that we read today, I don't think all of those are, everyone is, is having those and suppressing them. And if some people feel like they are because of this church, then talk to us about it. But if suppressing the gift to you means you want the freedom to do it no matter what it interrupts or nothing, then yeah, suppress it. <laughs> suppress it then. Because we're not going to submit to people. I'm not making room for people's gifts if it doesn't build us up. And if it doesn't, so if it's about you and people wanting, then you have people over your house and do it there. Like, I'm, I'm fine with it. There are other contexts in which that gift can come out. On Sunday, it has to build us up. If it doesn't build us up, then, man, I, you know, man, have people over and speak in tongues all night if you want. <laughs> but I'm not going to. It has to build us up. If it doesn't build us up, so if we have to make room for your gift, I think it's just, I think it's wrong. So if someone is not manifesting the gifts, but it. I, you know, if you know them, you know, ask them what's going on. But I, but I was, I was wondering what the criteria is, is for that, because I'm not assuming that everyone, everyone here has prophecy, tongues, a word of knowledge, and they just failing to do it. it doesn't, it's not a gift that you own. It's not a superpower. You know, we're not one of the Avengers. We're like, we're just like, all right, Kurt, prophesy, man. You're not being faithful. All right, and God said it. It just doesn't work like that. It's not how it works. It's just like there are moments where, in that moment, the Spirit gives you utterance of wisdom, like boom. This is the issue. I see it. This is it. Or knowledge, like, hey, I think this is going on, but we should follow up. Boom. That doesn't, I can't just do that. Like, okay, we should, you know, when people do use it like that, it's demonic. You go to a tarot. How does a tarot card work? Okay, let me. The demons give you that. When the spirit does it, it's to, it's to serve a purpose. When demons do it, it's to make you think that this is how it's supposed to look. And it's like, nah, bro. So. So I don't know how you evaluate if a person's not doing it, but they're telling you, just like, bro, just step out in faith. If it's for people, good. If someone's like, man, I want to share something, but I just don't, bro, go up. I'll, I'll walk up there with you if you want. You know, you can do that. Step out in faith. Like, do that. You want to encourage people's faith. But if, you know, but I don't know how you would measure the criteria of that. I don't think gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit are always, like, we have these and this. I think it's just like, uh, when these things show up, the Lord decided to let it show up. And that's really what it is, so. So um, I'm, I'm going to share two more questions, that, which means that there will be some questions that were already there before we told them to take the banner down that won't be asked. So if you're here, please do uh, see Pastor Kurt. And if not, um, sorry about that. Um, so um, someone is asking, is the statement regarding people abusing, shouting in tongues, a statement highlighting some people misusing their gifts? Or is it a statement that all people who shout are out of order? Well, I said I'm cool with that. Like, I've watched it. I'm, I, I think there's a place for it. Like, I'm not going to – I don't see that in the Bible. So let's just start. For me, I have to start with do I see it in the Bible? 
If I don't, then I have to, to some degree, be questionable. I have to, I have to, I gotta, if I see this in the Bible, cool. So people all are shouting and dancing and all that. I think there are people who are genuinely experiencing a moment, and that's their expression of it. I don't have a problem with that. If that moment is lasting 10, 15, 20 minutes, and we can't, unless that's what the service is for, if you're going to a service, well, that's what you're trying to experience, cool. But when it's on a Sunday, nah. Because, and people act like, well, that's the spirit was really moving today because it was spontaneous. I don't agree with that. I've seen some non-spontaneous wreckage. <laughs> seeing people be like, man, we was in there for three, four hours. <laughs> Imagine if you invited somebody to church and all of a sudden you got an hour watching people do all this and all that. It's like, You'd be like, hey, I'm, my bad, man. I didn't know it was going <laughs> My bad, bro. Hey, if you want to leave, we can go. My bad, fam. I wasn't trying to do all that. So, no, I think, that, I think there's genuine place for that. And I think, I think that the Lord allows people to have, that are more culturally or ethnically a certain way, to have those kind of expressions. I don't think those are wrong, but I think there's a place for that. And I think self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So, I don't think... I can't see in the Bible and throughout church history where the it's more of a new phenomenon, particularly with Pentecostalism that came in the late 19th century, 20th, yeah, late 19th century, 20th century. Like, I, I feel like uh, some of that is, is, is an excitement, and that's cool, but if it's not building everyone else up, I think it's a problem. So, no, I don't think all of those expressions are unfaithfulness. I, and I, I think, but if I know a person, I think I'm, I'm less, I'm more bothered by it when I know the person is not really tripping off the Lord. So then it's like, man, man, sit your, you know, I'm just, I'm just like, man, come on, bro. Like, I've seen this, like, come on. Like, you just doing too much right now. It's just not real. And I think we have to be careful. So, no, I'm not saying those expressions are wrong. I just think that some people are defined by those experiences, and I don't think that's what the gather church on a Sunday is supposed to be about. If you want to have a service that does that, cool. Do it, and do it for as long as you want. But on a Sunday morning, there's a lot of different people that come here, and I think we have to be careful that we're not trying to make it be about the expression of some experience and so that their experience is like tarnished like that. I don't so we're just we're just concerned about that. All right, um, this is another twofer. Um, but uh, can you think of a time when you felt like the spirit was telling you to do something, but your faith was leading you in a different direction? And also, what you do when you feel like you can't discern between the two? So, so to to answer those two questions. I have to start with, I have to explain to you, I just have a functioning sort of presupposition for me. So I'll start with the second one first. When I'm trying to make a decision, but I'm not sure what to do, what's, what's, what, what to do, I'm not feeling like, oh, the spirit's, or well, I'm just, I, this, is a, this is just what I do. I say to the Lord, Lord, you know me, you know how I am, you know how you've created me, you know how I think, you know how I act. You know what I need to know this is your will or not. You know those things. Because I don't have that, I'm not getting that, 
I'm just going to make a decision in faith, and you know I'm not trying to dishonor you, but I'm just going to make I'm just going to make a decision, and I just do that. I trust that the Lord. The Lord knows if you come up with a word for me, the Lord knows if you're if it's going if I'm going to believe it, depending on who the person is, and if it's something general, cool, thank you. To me, if you want to get my attention, you got to tell me something that only the Lord, you wouldn't know if the Lord, otherwise, I think people just be talking. And that's just me. That's the way I am. So for me, when I'm trying to figure out and I'm just not sure what to do, I make a decision in faith because I do not think that I, you've heard me say this before and I'll say this again. I think faith is what pleases the Lord, not certainty, right? Like I don't always, he knows I don't know what to do here. He knows I'm not sure what the best decision is. So I know he knows that, and he knows I didn't make this clear to you, so I'm going to make a decision in faith. And, and I'm just going to move forward. I mean, that's what I'm going to do. Unless I can, you know, and, and with that, sometimes it might be counsel, hey, what you think about this, or, I'll, you know, I'll ask people that I know that I feel like are faithful to the Lord. I think it's stuff like that. I just, I think sometimes we act like, oh, the Spirit is going to do this, or the Lord is leading, and I just think we got to discern what pleases the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. And to discern means you got to figure it out. So sometimes it's just like, all right, Lord, I don't, I'm, what was that story where they just said, uh, was it, what was that when they were like, it was good to us and the Holy Spirit? What was that at? That wasn't Acts when they was choosing a new, um, I forgot what that was at, but they were like, man, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think that was it. I just think sometimes it's just like, all right, this is what seems like the best decision. I think the Lord has grace for that. I don't think the Lord is like, hey, I told you what to do and you ain't do it. It's like, man, he knows what he didn't tell you. So, so for me, I start with that. And then what was the first question? Can you think of a time when the spirit was telling you something, but your faith was leading, leading you in a different direction? I feel like the spirit was telling me something, but my faith led me in a different direction. Uh, shoot, sometimes I can just be like sharing a gospel with somebody. I can just get a sense like, man, I should just go ahead and do it. But I'm just like, oh, man, it's uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to, man. Or I'll judge them, look at them. They ain't going to believe anyway, so I'm just not. <laughs> it's like people don't look at me and be like, oh, he's probably a faithful pastor. Like, they're like, man, who's this dude? So it's like, I mean, we just, so I, I think times like that can happen. Uh, I think sometimes um, delaying certain responsibilities and just being like, man, I should do this now. I'm like, nah, I don't feel like doing this right now. You know, it can go in a lot of different ways as it relates to that. So, um, but when it comes to big things, I don't, I don't, yeah, I can't think of like big things that I would do. But again, I'm not, I don't process the Spirit's work or my relationship with the Lord like I don't do nothing until I hear from the Lord. I think people, sound, it sounds spiritual, but I don't think it's always biblical. I think sometimes we just don't know what to do, but we're going to make a decision in faith as best as we can. And the Lord knows what we know and don't know. So for me, I'm just like, I ain't going. I'm just going to do this, Lord. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm not trying to dishonor you, but this is the decision I'm going to make. I'm not going, you know, whatever it is. Or I'll take this. You know, there are times I've been asked to, will I come serve here, or do this or do something like that? And I'm just like, uh. I'm like, man, should I go? What should I do? You know, and I'm just like, uh, and I can't get a read. I can't get a read. So it's like, you know what, Lord? 
because you're not making it obvious to me and you know what I need, I'm going to just make this decision in faith and I hope that this. But again, we're talking about the Lord, right? He knows what you're going to do before the beginning. So it's not like the Lord is sitting like, why are they doing that? You know, it's just like he knows what you're going to do anyway. So it's like, so I think the measure of faith just comes with that. So um, That uh, was seen good to us in the Holy Spirit. That's in uh, Acts 15. That's what it was I thought. regarding the, um, the instructions to give the Gentiles that Paul right. and Barnabas had given the gospel. Yeah, so it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 15, I don't 20. know how they determined that it was to the Holy Spirit, but they were just like, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. So like, I guess they was feeling like we ain't getting no strong resistance to it, so I guess the Spirit is with it. I just think that's how it works. I think it's more ebb and flow instead of this dogma, like well, the Lord is leading me to do this. All right, go ahead. But I've seen people be led by the Lord to do things that were tragic for them. They were tragic. And it's just like, okay, I'm not going to judge you for it, but I'm just not, I'm not moved by how confident people are about the spirit because I think there are times when that might be from the spirit, it might be from the Lord, and if you have faith to do that and it doesn't contradict, you know, the fruits of the spirit, do it. But I'm just, I'm not moved by, me and Mike, I know we're not moved by that. We'll ask questions and be like, because we want people to do the will of the Lord. We want to help people. But if I, you say something and it just seems off to me, I also assume the Lord might be giving me a distinguishing between spirits. And that's happened quite a few times in my 15 years of being here. Like, mm, that don't sound right to me. I might not have it all figured out yet, but something is not right. And then you start asking questions, and you know, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, right. You, so the Lord is wild like that. But I just think for our, our purposes moving forward, I just think, and you, can, and you can have a different conviction on this than me, but if your conviction contradicts what's visible in the Bible, then we have to talk. We don't have to have a conversation. You can, you can have a different, if you think that this, this is cool, but if it, if it doesn't build the church up or it's harming the church, you'll hear from me. You'll hear from us because I, we're not, that's, not, that, that's not more important to me. That's not more important to me for my own life and for, for any of us. That's not more important. I, I don't think it's more important to God because as we see, some people would be like, I don't know you. It's, it's, the, it's the fruit. It's the character that we need to, we want to make sure that's there. If the gifts show up, cool. But the character shows up, necessary. Gifts, cool. Character, necessary. All right? That's it? All right. With the idea of character, that's what this is for. So this is for those whose character is being shaped to follow and honor the Lord, all right? So this is what this is for. When we do this every Sunday, and this is primarily for, this is really for people who have professed to believe in the Lord and who are growing in, in the process of growing to be like him, flaws included, all of those things, but there's a genuine desire to honor the Lord and a faith in the Lord. And so we do this in memory of the Lord so that we can be reminded, especially if we stray way far away from we all, this is the anchor for us. It's his body that was broken on the cross for our sins and his blood that was shed. So we take this by his grace and we pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace in our lives. Whether we understand all things or not, whether we're good, whether we're accurate or not, may we be known by our love. May love be the defining moment for us, the defining characteristic for us. Because it was your love that was a defining characteristic for you that put you on the cross and that allows your body to be broken. So we eat this together in memory of that. And it was that same love, that same characteristic that allowed your blood to be shed for us. 
And so we drink this together in reality of that. Lord, if our church needs to grow in manifestations of the spirit or the gifts of the spirit, then may it grow. Let it grow, Lord. You know, I don't want to stand in the way of none of that. But Lord, may it grow because you're growing it, not because we're chasing it. We're not chasing experiences. And I would rather stand before you and ha not have many, but have character than have a lot of them and be immature. Lord, we just, we just not, Lord, you, just, you know how you've made us, Lord. You know it. You already know. We're just not going to do that. And we'll rather, we'll, if people feel some type of way, we understand, but we're not going to change that because character is better than being charismatic. And may that guide us moving forward as we finish out the series and in our lives, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done on us and that your spirit is in us, working in us to do all the things that are Godward focused that we do. And where there's confusion, Lord, it's usually on our part because sometimes it's just you're not the God of confusion. You're not the author of confusion. So, Lord, thank you for all that you do. May we not be so dogmatic about your leading. May we not put gifts, power over character. And may we grow in confidence of your word because it is that is how you resisted the devil and it's the promises and the truth and the strength of your word that will be how we resist them. For your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, if, if, if Again, the Sunday morning gathering is different than a personal gathering. So if people want to do stuff in their home, but here it has to work. It has to be order. And so I would recommend everyone read, read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, all three of those chapters, so you can get understand the, the it's, a, it's one big argument that he's making. We dropped in one big argument, and you'll see for yourselves, all right? Having said that, enjoy your Sunday. And we'll see if you, got, if you got any groups this week, get to them. Tell somebody you love them. Encourage somebody today. But more importantly, demonstrate some fruit, even if it's not in a basket. And please, if you come across anyone who served in children's ministry, even thank if them. you don't have children, thank them for serving late. Thank them.